Welcome to today's program from the Commonwealth Club of California. We are a nonprofit, nonpartisan public forum that hosts about 500 programs a year on a wide range of topics. Now you can find a list of our upcoming programs at commonwealthclub.org slash online. New programs are being added almost every day. Now for today's program, we are exploring the intersection of kindness and mental health during these very trying times. Our moderator is Maya Smith, the executive director of the Born This Way Foundation. So now I am pleased to hand this over to Maya Smith. Maya? Thank you so much, John. It's such a pleasure to be here with you virtually. Um, so close yet so far. Hello, Commonwealth Club from over in the East Bay. I'm honored to be here in my role as executive director of Lady Gaga's Born This Way Foundation and to talk about the importance of kindness mental wellness, and community in these important times. As we all know, across the world, people are facing circumstances that we've never encountered before, and we're all with some level of disruption of our daily routine. Um, it appears we're all going to face a long road ahead and do each of our parts to flatten the curve of COVID-19 transmission. Um, and in that, while we physically distance from one another, we can still find reasons for hope and new ways to socially connect. Um, One of the most inspiring examples that I've seen lately of that was this past Saturday's One World at Home telecast. Um, The stories of compassion and bravery that we saw um, really gave me hope uh, and excitement for the the road forward. Um, And they're bringing us all together. At Born This Way Foundation, we believe, and I know that each of the panelists today believe that if we lead with kindness, it will go a long way in both ending the stigma around mental health, validating the emotions of people around the world, and impacting our communities to make them even more open to addressing the opportunities and challenges that we'll have ahead of us. I'm so excited to be accompanied today by this incredible um, group of panelists. Hey, everybody. Um, and and excited introduce yourselves. Um, So to kick us off, um, I'd love to invite each of our panelists to please introduce themselves and share what you think um, about mental health in this moment and why it's particularly important to be talking about mental health in forms as these. Um, So I will um, just share open narcissism for my own boss first. We will uh, introduce and start uh, with with Cynthia Germanata, president and co-founder of Born This Way Foundation. Thank you for being with us. Maya, thank you for having me. And Commonwealth, thank you for hosting this incredible topic today. Uh, as Maya mentioned, I'm Cynthia Germanata, president and co-founder of Born This Way Foundation, which I co-founded with my daughter, Stephanie, who many of you may know as Lady Gaga. Uh, the reason I think it's incredibly important to talk about kindness in relation to mental health now is we know through our research that there's a direct connection. We know that young people uh, and other people who report being in kind communities report having better mental health. So now more than ever, we may not think it, but these small acts of kindness add up and we have great momentum now toward creating significant change. Thank you, Cynthia. Um, and next, I'd love um, Dr. Tulum Shams to introduce herself. I'll heretofore call you Dr. Marina, but just out of respect for your extensive schooling. So honored to have you <laughs> share your um, experience with the audience. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you to the Commonwealth Club and Born This Way Foundation and to all of you for all the amazing work you're doing and having me be a part of this. It's really an honor. Um, uh, so professionally, I am professor of psychiatry at the University of California, San Francisco in the Department of Psychiatry, and I am division director of infant, child, and adolescent psychiatry services at San Francisco General Hospital, which is our city and county public hospital. And um, on a personal basis, I am um, an Iranian-American immigrant coming to the United States um, in 1979, the time of revolution and a time of great uh, global disruption, and also daughter of uh, two to two girls, excuse me, mother, they are my daughters, mother to two girls. Um, and so I'm speaking today both from professional and personal um, perspectives. And I would um, 
just say this question of why is it important to consider mental health right now? And Cynthia said it, um, I think, so well in terms of timing and what opportunity we have here um, in this crisis. But what we know is that the impact of social distancing, isolation, economic hardship, all this overwhelm is going to be with us much longer than the medical impact. Um, Dr. Victor Tseng is a physician from Georgia, and he created this amazing graphic of the four waves of COVID that he was anticipating over time. And the first three waves are all related to medical um, complications or uncertainties. The fourth wave that goes out the longest over time is anticipated to be our psychic trauma, mental illness, economic injury, and burnout. And so as a prevention scientist and someone who's been working for 20 years in developing prevention interventions around mental health for youth, I would say we have a huge opportunity to shorten the duration of that fourth wave right now. If we do the work now that to reduce the stigma and rapidly improve the access to for mental health supports. And let's not wait for this to turn into a crisis, which is what is so inspiring about the Born This Way Foundation and the work that they're doing in that way. Um, and the good news is we can feel better and get through these more challenging times um, in very small ways that we'll talk about, I think, today on this panel. Thank you, Dr. Mina. I look forward to getting into how we can uh, get to work immediately and not think about after uh, to start focusing on our mental health. And as the daughter of a psychoanalyst, I know your daughters are very <laughs> proud of you. It took me a while to admit that, but they will. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so proud to be joined by one of my favorite people, a member of the Born This Way Foundation team, Taylor Parker. Taylor, would love for you to introduce yourself. Hi, um, so I'm Taylor Parker. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I serve many roles right now. Um, I am the special projects intern for Born This Way Foundation currently. Um, I also serve as channel kindness reporter for the organization. Um, I work at our local university here in Indianapolis. Um, it's Indiana University in Indianapolis, um, and I am studying philanthropic studies with a focus on youth civic engagement and the societal impacts of civic engagement move or movements. Um, in addition to that, I also teach at the university. I teach a course on celebrity philanthropy um, or co-teach, which is why I think my partnership with Born This Way Foundation is so, so key to the lessons I'm able to uh, pass on to them. In addition to that, I also manage a scholarship program or co-manage a program at the university um, for alternative breaks scholarships. These students create learning for their fall and spring breaks, and they give up uh, the quintessential college spring break trip in order to take people uh, that can sign up for these trips at a very low cost to different areas of the country to learn about social issues and do some quality service there in a lens of volunteerism, but more in a lens of how can we actually learn here from the people here and how can we contribute to the meaningful work that they're doing. Um, it's a great program. I'm very proud to be in a position where I can be a part of so many student programs. Um, and I'm very excited to be sharing today in this panel. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you. Um, and last but certainly not least, Juan, uh, a leader in the mental health space in California. Thank you for your work um, and, and a great friend of Born This Way Foundation. Juan, please introduce yourself. Hi, well, my name is Juan Acosta. My pronouns are he, him, his. And I've had the honor to work closely with the Born This Way Foundation team for a couple years now. Uh, among their China Kindness platform, which really changed my life and empowered me to be who I am today. So I'm so grateful for that. In addition to that, I am the program coordinator for California's toll-free warm line. I also serve on a committee for Mental Health America and California's Mental Health Services Oversight and Accountability Commission. So I'm so, so grateful to, to have all these platforms and more so now than ever, these conversations are so important because we all know that the humans want connection and it is important to foster these proactive conversations and make people feel like they have someone to go to, someone to talk to, no matter where we are. And even in our own homes, fostering these proactive conversations with our siblings, with our parents who sometimes don't foster these conversations. Thank you so much, Juan, and way to go on the whole acronym of MHSOAC. I can never do it. Um, so let's get into the conversation. Cynthia, I'd love to start with you. From from the experience that you have both personally as, as a mother of 
two young women as well, but also just so deeply um, within the work of Born This Way Foundation. What are some of the things that people are struggling with right now? What have you been seeing through, um, whether it's your tea time conversations, the research that we're doing, would love to hear what you see in this moment. Yes, uh, we're seeing, you know, across the board and certainly across the world, people are experiencing circumstances that are unprecedented. It may be what I'm calling the firsts for so many. It's the first uh, that our lives are just completely disrupted. The first times of all the rules that we're facing with hand washing and uh, staying socially distanced that we at Born This Way, though, we like to refer to it as we're physically distant, but it's important to remain socially connected. So many of us are just experiencing on, on a tremendous order of magnitude these new changes to our lives. And I believe there's two uh, leading factors that are contributing to what I call two clouds. There's a cloud of uncertainty and there's a cloud of a lack of control. And when you have both of these going on and competing at the same time, it really leads to heightened anxiety and heightened level of stress. Um, we know, though, that engaging and finding ways to gain control of things in your life, no matter how small, small can go a long way toward helping you maintain control and relieving some of that anxiety and stress. Um, and we know that kindness is one way to do that. Small acts of kindness, some way of staying engaged and being productive, whether that be at home or things in your communities. Um, we're also experiencing a whole set of emotions. Even in one day, you can go through every set of emotion. And probably the greatest emotion that human beings have is fear. Um, fortunately, the only thing that trumps that is love and compassion. And, you know, I'm leaning into love and compassion and a lot of hope. We're seeing that and we're seeing how these acts of kindness and community um, can really go um, a long way uh, toward understanding and bringing about uh, compassionate community building. Thank you, Cynthia. I, I couldn't agree more. I spend my days working with you to do that. Um, Dr. Marina, I would love your thoughts. Um, you know, you hear the analogy of like you uh, have to put your mask on first, right, on the planes. And we're talking a lot about caring for um, the mental health of, of our communities for those suffering from COVID um, and, and for for me and managing a team of young people who are thinking about other people's mental health, how can I support them? How can we encourage people to focus on our own mental health right now? Often, you know, we think of ourselves last, but this, um, this shouldn't be the case for mental health. So I'd love your thoughts on, especially in these times, why it's important to take care of our own mental health. Yeah, so they, um, the oxygen mask analogy has been used so much. And then there has been some feelings even about using that analogy right now in the time of COVID, which is a respiratory illness, that what it represents um, is really important. Um, we are no good in helping others if we're not taking care of ourselves. That's really just a fundamental part of being a human being. And... <clears throat> I think sometimes that we think taking care of someone else means we have to show that we're perfect and we've got it all together. And actually, I would say in this crisis and in, in general, it's um, sometimes very much the opposite. Um, when I think about um, young people and their friends and loved ones and parents in their lives, let's just say, um, and the, or it could be other caregivers, not necessarily um, parents, but ultimately we are sometimes afraid that to say like, this is hard. This sucks. I mean, and what happens when you do that is that there's a moment of connection and doing that is taking care of yourself and showing them, you know, how to be real and be accepting that this is hard and then connecting to, okay, now how do we do this together? How do we get through this together? And that's a way I really believe of connect, taking care of yourself, putting that, you know, that oxygen mask on, as you said, um, and then taking care of the other as well. So I think that's a place to start. That's that's a great one. And I, um, as it turns out, I'm a, a good executive director, I hope, worse for in history, truly just very bad at teaching first grade. Um, and so I've started 
uh, every night I make a failure diary, a note in my iPhone of the different ways that I've failed that day and sort of naming and releasing them um, has been a really good self-care practice for me. Siri did remind me the other day that I had not listed my failures in a couple of days. So that was not, not very kind of her, Uh, but that that's exactly. So um, yeah. Yeah. I would say too, just to, sorry, can I just add something to that? I would say that it's gotta be um, that and so we can't just like not, not having some sort of sub optimism or connection or kindness or something in the mix of all of that is really, really important. You know, I think it's good to acknowledge our limitations and to empathize and to say that this is really, really hard and I'm scared too, right? Um, but sometimes, especially with parents, caregivers, adults, and young people, that can feel scary if it's not mixed in with, okay, how are we going to get through this together? What's the connection going to be? What are we going to do? And I, I want, I'd love to bring you into this conversation because I think you um, sit at that crossroads that Dr. Marina just mentioned, right? You engage in so much kindness and community building as a way to care for the mental health of others and for yourself. So we know from research at Born This Way Foundation that young people believe mental health is a priority, but less than half of those young people know where to go to access resources around mental health, um, practices around mental health. So Juan, I'd love you to speak to that Delta and tell us um, what you do um, to support your mental health right now. I do a variety of things. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, as you mentioned, it's oftentimes we do put ourselves last when we are trying to provide support for so many other people. But when I began my advocacy work at the age of 13, it was my way of coping in a way that I was able to support others. But at the same time, I was able to build a support group for myself and learn what I needed to learn about the mental health system. Um, I was I didn't have the knowledge to guide through the mental health system. So it's different approaches that have really helped me. I've learned to manage my anxiety by dancing. I've learned to manage it by doing meditation. And just having that support group that I know I could go to in my safe zone, which is being with my loved ones. Absolutely. And unfortunately, so many of us right now can't be with our loved ones. Um, and so we're finding new ways to, to socially connect and build those relationships. Taylor, I know that your um, shelter in place experience has been a unique one. So I'd love to hear um, what advice you have for a person who's sheltered in place with someone that they love, be it a friend, family member, a guardian, um, and you want to talk and they have a mental health concern. How do you support someone else? during this um, this period? Absolutely. Um, so I think at the basis of supporting someone um, with mental health problems that you um, are sheltered in place with right now, I think at the heart of it is just having trauma-informed conversations. And by that, I don't mean asking them, you know, at your, at your nightly check-ins, you know, what's your biggest fear waking up tomorrow? But it's more, you know, understanding that everyone is going through a collective traumatic experience. Everyone is carrying their own mental baggage or mental health problems into this scenario. And we can't act like we can leave that at the door and just focus on the COVID-19 pandemic right now. And so, um, you know, these, these tricks or these conversations can happen with anyone of any age, right? So I am sheltered in place with my partner who is 22. I'm sheltered in place with my little sister who is 12 years old. Um, my sister has high anxiety and my partner has depression and we are, we're able to have these conversations while also taking in, um, self-care practices that you learn in, uh, trauma-based therapy and mental health care. And so whether that is box breathing, specific breathing exercises, whether it's skills that you can get from um, a cognitive behavioral therapy workbook, um, I think all of these little, these um, opportunities for coping need to happen in these conversations, not at the end once we've all, you know, taken on these, these heavy ideas. Yeah. And Taylor, I hope your partner wouldn't mind if you share with our millions of viewers. Um, but do you mind sharing the vision board? Because I think sometimes we overcomplicate um, what what kindness and support can look like. And I, I love this example. So I'd love for you to share that. Yeah. Should I take my uh, computer on a little house tour real quick to find it? Or do you want me to just talk about it? If you want to talk about it and then you can go grab it while Cynthia's chatting, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So um, we 
lot of decorations in my apartment. We try to keep it uh, filled with art. And I, I saw something taped up uh, in my kitchen not too long ago. It was a sheet from newspaper filled with just Arby's coupons. It was taped to the wall. And I asked my partner, what is this? Why is it taped to the wall? And he said, oh, that's my vision board. That way I know what I'm looking forward to once this is over. And I, you know, I don't eat at Arby's, uh, but he he is so excited for the opportunity to go back and safely get some mozzarella sticks. <laughs> yeah, and that's so real. And finding those opportunities, however they come up, whether coupons, vision boards, reminders, whatever it looks like for you, I think that's important. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. So Cynthia, Dr. Marina talked about um, measuring optimism and kindness with the reality of this moment. Would love just some of your thoughts on what do kindness and connection look like in a virtual world? Some people um, that, you know, I often feel like uh, this extroverted person without my tools, right, to be kind in the world, but that's not the case. There's so many ways for us to continue to build community and connection and share kindness. So would love for you to share some of the favorite examples that you've seen so far. Of course, you know, and kindness and connection are so incredibly important right now. Not only kindness to yourself, but also kindness to others. But I'd like to start for a moment with yourself and go back to something Dr. Marina said, and that is that this is hard. And, you know, I have seen people who are like, I've got this and they're powering through and they're absolutely fine uh, being alone and doing what they need to do. And I've talked to people who it's just really hard for them to tie their shoes and get on with their day. And you know what? That's okay. I feel that the least pressure we put on ourselves, the better. I think For those of you that are simply staying home and making the sacrifices now that will keep us healthy in the long term, that is a great accomplishment. So please be gentle to yourself. I mean, that said, I will tell you that I've seen incredible things happening in terms of connectivity virtually on the Internet. I read a lot of information. I read a lot of stories. Um, I look a lot at our own platform called Channel Kindness, which, as you know, young people write these incredible stories of kindness and bravery in their communities. And just a couple I would like to highlight quickly. Um, One of our channel kindness stories, and it's a recent one, was uh, developed by six students in Indianapolis at Indianapolis University. And it has to do with finding community in a pandemic. And they developed an app uh, that really started as a Facebook uh, page around sources for, you know, food sources in their communities. And what they realized was the incredible lack of knowledge about where to go in your communities for resources. So this has since expanded to a much more robust app that includes where to go for mental health services, um, if you're having situations at home and you need help, so many different resources. And uh, it's great. These are six college students who are on a break now. And using that for good. Uh, another is an app called Nextdoor that many people may be familiar with. It's in so many locations um, across the country. They've developed a similar resource called a help map, a help map uh, that connects people with resources in their communities. And I'm super inspired, uh, inspired by another one. Uh, if you're familiar with Little Free Libraries, there's about 75,000 little free libraries around neighborhoods around the country uh, where you can go to get good books for yourself and for your children. And they've been transformed into these small food pantries. And they're inviting people to come and take an item that you might need, but also donate an item. So these have just been some great um, virtual examples of remaining connected and doing good in your communities. And I'm sure there's hundreds more great stories like, like that. Yeah. And I, I'll also share that your Freudian slip about napping, which is my favorite form of self-care. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, yeah. Love my nap. Um, Juan, I would love uh, to bring it back to mental health and to talk about the um, incredible role you have as an advocate for mental health, both 
I'm sure in your own community and then statewide. Um, so how did becoming a mental health advocate better equip you to support both your own mental health um, and learn how um, to get the tools that, that you need to support your peers? Tell us about this process and what you're putting to work right now in the pandemic. Yeah, so uh, I began my advocacy work at age 13 at a time where I was really struggling myself with my own mental health. So it was kind of like a cry for help at the same time, but it was a, a wanting to be directed to the resources I needed at that age. And I thankfully had an incredible uh, mentor who really guided me in that direction. And since then, I have continued my advocacy work. And it's been incredible to build the connections to know how to support others, but also to how to support myself. As a Latino, LGBTQ plus male from a small town, it was really hard growing up. So I have made it my mission to operate as a vehicle for change and to use the resources I have, the platforms I have, to help elevate other youth voices and to really bring youth to the conversation when creating resources for youth. And I'll just shout out one of, I know, our joint favorite programs, but our uh, Born This Way Foundation is proud to have worked with the National Council on Behavioral Health um, to create teen mental health first aid. So um, for those watching at home, mental health first aid and teen mental health first aid, um, encourage you to check out the National Council on Behavioral Health for more information on those programs. Um, Dr. Marina, I would love um, to go to you and talk a little bit. I mentioned our research. We know that um, from research of Born This Way Foundation in California say that they rarely or never have access to resources. Um, we also know that this crisis is affecting some of our most vulnerable young people. Um, in this moment, what can we do to help those who may not be able to afford mental health or do not know how to access resources? Yeah, so um, great questions. And we know that on a typical day, statistics for, um, are that one in seven youth who need mental health treatment are accessing it and one in 10 who need substance use related services are, are able to access them. So we had a crisis in this country around mental health access even before COVID-19 um, came around. And so there are many things that can be done that don't require costly resources to be able to do it. And it's up to us actually to build capacity. That's why, like what Juan is talking about, so huge to have young people engaged in advocacy. We need to be thinking about how we build capacity in our communities to get the information out about how to take care of ourselves and our mental health and well-being and young people's mental health and well-being without costly resources. So, for example, um, I had the honor of uh, doing a Commonwealth Club event with uh, Dr. Dacker Keltner from Berkeley, from UC Berkeley, the Greater Good Science Center. And, you know, his research shows, and it's consistent with what Cynthia is talking about and what you're working to disseminate and advocate around as part of the foundation, but that these small bursts of self-regulation activities, small bursts, we don't need access necessarily during these moments to a 50-minute therapy session that has to be billed to a therapist. We might need 15 minutes three times a week to check in with somebody who is going to help you to identify how are you doing, what's going well, what's not going well. Or it could be something that doesn't even involve a mental health professional, going on a walk and talk, I've been calling them, with a friend or a loved one, 10 minutes. And you can walk inside your house if you can't get outside. Sometimes our neighborhoods aren't such that you know we're feeling safe to go outside or we're not able to leave taking care of others inside the home. There are many different ways to kind of think about how to do this. Um, Dacker's work talks about awe-inspiring moments and how that actually has a biological effect on our immune system. And they've shown this in their research. Looking at photos of landscapes, there was a Twitter uh, feed that went viral uh, asking people to post landscapes, pictures of places around the world that inspired them or maybe that they had been with no people inside of it and said, let's travel the world together 
um, his science would show that that has a positive effect on our immune system in a way that will keep us healthier and better. So, so advocacy, community capacity building to get the information out. And then the last thing I'll say around this um, is around stigma, which you all know. I hope we can talk a little bit about stigma today and all of the work that the foundation and Juan and Taylor and Maya, you're all doing around destigmatizing uh, mental health and well-being uh, during this time for young people. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And I should just note for the record that I am in awe of the work that all of you do. So this is an awe-inspiring moment for me. Um, I will also just put two other resources that um, that I love out there. So our friends at Crisis Text Line. Um, so I know we'll talk about kinds of crisis, but Crisis Text Line is the way to text. Um, if you need mental health support, you text HOME to 741741. Um, and then there's an incredible app that was created by a brother-sister team called the Not Okay app that allows you, uh, it's sort of a panic button and allows you to lift um, lift up the five people who you would want to tell if you're not okay. And instead of putting the burden on the person who needs support, you sort of press the panic button and it goes to those five people. And those five people are notified that you're not okay. Mm-hmm. And this um, this story is inspiring. So please check out Not Okay app and, and learn about their origin story. It's, it's incredible. I'll actually want to stay with you, Dr. Mina, for a second. Let's talk about stigma. Let's talk about um, why stigma continues to exist, the hope that you have that this generation and bust it, and what steps each of us can do in talking about and coping with this moment that will have long-term impact on reducing the stigma around mental health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me see, where do I start? <laughs> Those are some big questions. <laughs> um, so one of the ways is about our languaging. We all know how language is so important. And I think this crisis gives us an opportunity to think about how we're languaging the importance of mental health. Um, As a preventionist as well, I would say now is the time to intervene for everybody. Um, We should not be waiting until we reach those crisis situations. And I think that we have an opportunity with this common shared feeling that we're talking about among most. Like people are going to feel the hardship in varying different degrees. Um, but we have an opportunity then and to say this is a common shared feeling. And this is what we're talking about, health and well-being. Um, there's a lot of stigma around the words treatment, mental health, psychiatry, right? And so I really think it's up to our field too. We have, The onus is on us to make it more accessible in terms of language and what it is. So a lot of these things that we're talking about, these amazing apps, these amazing websites, um, I'll give you, they're, they're really helping to do this and to have youth engaged in them and promote them. Leveraging technology right now is a huge way to do this. And um, one app that I really want to bring up is um, a new app as well that's doing this, I think, very, very well. Um, it's called, it's from Hope Lab, which is a San Francisco-based social innovation lab that creates behavior change tech. And it's very developmentally focused for young people. And they partnered with uh, Grit Digital Health and um, they created an app called Nod. And it's focused on increasing connection and decreasing loneliness and isolation for young people. And um, the reason why I think it's really important around the stigma conversation is because it really doesn't talk about mental health at all, (laughs) but it's all about mental health. (laughs) And I think these kinds of technologies where they um, they can appeal to young people and engage them and have an impact on decreasing feelings of distress or depression or loneliness is our, is our way in to reducing stigma um, as well. So that if you go to hopelab.org or you go to the Apple store, they're all available. That app is downloadable for free called Nod. Great. Thank you. Thank you for, um, for sharing that. And I think what we'll do, what we'll commit to at Born the Foundation is 
creating a list of these resources that everyone's mentioning and then sharing them with, with the Commonwealth team. Um, Cynthia, would love for you to, to hop in there um, and maybe we can um, personalize it from the lens of a parent. So for those um, of us that are watching a young person in our life, um, that may be struggling, that you're worried about. Um, Dr. Marina said it so well, like now, now is the time to intervene. Um, share with us, um, both from the research and just anecdotally what, what we should do if there's a young person in our life that we're worried about. Yeah, absolutely. So important. I mean, you know, right now everyone is struggling with something, myself included, young and old. And, um, it's really important for us to, in particular, pay attention to, to the young folks that are home. Again, that I mentioned whose lives are completely disrupted. And when they do go back to school, their lives will have changed and they're also going to have to adjust to that. So um, we know from our research that there are three primary reasons that young people don't talk to their parents or to an adult about a mental health issue. Um, the first is that they don't really feel validated. Their emotions don't feel validated. So, for example, you know, I talk myself, I made a lot of mistakes as a parent because I felt like I was listening, but not necessarily understanding where they were coming from and validating that what they were feeling was, it was very real to them. And, and in many cases, I would jump right into my instinctive parent mode of being a fixer and offering solutions, but they really just wanted me to listen and just validate that what they were feeling was was correct. So validation is one reason. The second is um, a fear of being judged by an adult or by their parents. You know, it's so that's part of the stigma is they're about to share something that's so private and so personal. And then if there is any kind of criticism that's laid on top of it, they're even more reluctant. Um, to talk to us about it again. And then thirdly, which I thought was really interesting, they don't share a lot with their parents because we don't share a lot with them about our own mental health struggles. And it's okay. And I, I think now is a perfect time to do that because we are all struggling with something. And I think that might be an icebreaker to say, you know what, honey, um, this is what mommy's feeling. Right. This is what I'm going through day to day. I can only imagine how you might feel it. So I think for young people now, what we would recommend at the foundation is to try to open that conversation. Don't necessarily wait. You know, let's use our instincts. Try to open a very healthy conversation in a safe space, validate their emotions. Um, and then also have some resources on hand to direct them to if you really feel that you're in a crisis situation. And we've broken down several wonderful resources uh, in three categories, and right? resources that are apps for anxiety, for online therapy, and then emergency situations. And you highlighted a couple. So um, I hope we can have a chance. I can go into what some of those are later and we can um, provide them for, um, for the Commonwealth viewers. Absolutely. Thank you, Cynthia. So I just want to, um, before we go uh, to audience questions, and please submit your questions, I'm getting a, a stream of them, and I appreciate them. Um, I just want to go back to, to this thread around kindness and mental health, right? Kindness is not going to, it's not the, the panacea cure-all for all of the challenges that we're facing in the world. But the way that I talk about kindness is that it softens the inevitable blows that life's going to deliver us, right? It's this this social fabric and connection um, that helps us survive and thrive. Um, so Taylor, I would love your thoughts, um, you're both as a student and as someone in the classroom, as an instructor, what are some of the ways um, that we can create kinder spaces for young people, especially in this digital age? Yeah, thank you for, for bringing that up. Um, I could talk about this for forever, but I promise I will try to keep it short. Um, I think it really, there are, there are three things to focus on here, right? And so the first being, um, intentional understanding, um, echoing what Dr. Marina said earlier about being able to say, you know, this is an awful situation and I'm able to understand that for myself and for you. And I'm not going to acknowledge that it's awful and then ask you to do everything that you were doing before this happened, right? We can't continue, um, 
the second part is creating intentional offers. And so instead of asking, um, you know, is there anything I can do for you? Or just let me know if there's anything I can do. Um, thinking and being intentional about your offer. So offering, you know, would you like to, um, as an instructor, would you like to meet up for an office hour? One-on-one, I can talk you through the assignment. Um, I, it's something that I've done with my sister since I can remember um, where you have to be thinking ahead, you know, what are their needs that they, man- they might not recognize that they need and how can I help meet those? Um, and the third part um, as an instructor and as a student is just minim- or minimizing the opportunity um, for shame or discrimination in the classroom. So one of the great things um, about higher education that I really appreciate is that when everyone shows up in the classroom, everyone shows up on the same plane, right? Everyone wears sweats, everyone wears tennis shoes. I mean, sure, you have, you know, a few kids that really want to dress up, and that's great. I love seeing their outfits, but that's not for me. Um, whereas when we're all joining, you know, on Zoom at home, you can see what everyone's living situation is, and it takes away the equalizer um, that in-classroom education has. And so, you know, as an instructor, I'm trying to be mindful, you know, what are fun things that our class can do? Uh, one of my students suggested, you know, we all just dress up really fancy on the last day, but I acknowledge that not all of my students have formal clothes that they can wear for class. Um, another being, you know, do I want everyone to have their cameras on for class? Is that absolutely necessary? While I would love to see their faces, I also don't want them to feel uncomfortable about sharing their background or their living situation. And so it's really just trying to think, how can I make sure everyone feels like they can be their whole self? How can I be authentic with them in a way that will make them want to be authentic with me? And I think that's really the best way we can build these kind communities online and virtually. Thank you, Taylor. And these intentional invitations I have, um, you've taught me so much uh, in so many ways, but that is one of the things I, and I wrote a story about it. It's just, I'm in awe of your ability to hone in on unmet needs and meet them. So thank you. Thank you. Um, I would love to ask you, there are many uh, young people and people of all ages right now are uh, working in new uh, situations, whether it's remotely, whether they're essential workers and they still need to go to workplaces where they're perhaps uh, uncomfortable or fearful of the conditions. Um, I'd love for you to talk about the impact of kindness in the workplace. We know, again, from the kind communities work that people who describe their workplaces as kind report higher mental health inventory scores. Tell me a little bit about the characteristics of a kind workplace. And for those of us who are managing remote environments or just managing new workplaces, how we can infuse kindness there as well. Uh, Well, thank you for bringing that up. I want to echo what Cynthia said that is, being really transparent and vulnerable yourself and letting the people you work with know that you might not be feeling the best. Uh, I supervise a team. And for me, it's important that I don't just touch upon safe spaces when I'm training people at the beginning when they're a new employee. But what can I actually do to ensure that that space is actually kind and safe for them? It's not just putting up a poster that states it, but what uh, concrete actions am I taking to ensure that all of the team feels both safe and that we are all being kind to one another. And that is holding space for conversations that are proactive, how we're feeling, how we're dealing with it. That way people can grasp if they'd like what they could take to support themselves. Sharing resources with the team might be really helpful and really asking them how they're really doing. Not just a small talk asking, oh, how are you? And just letting it go, but how are you really doing? We know it's a tough time, so these proactive conversations are so crucial. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Juan. Um, Marina, I'm going to take the last question, uh, send you the last question, and then we're going to open for Q&A because we were just getting some incredible questions. So, Dr. Marina, we're having this whole conversation. Um, if I walk into my teenage son's room and, and say, are you depressed? He'll say, yes, I am. And thank you for, and here's how I'd like help, right? So that, that's not often the case. So if we have a loved one who aren't yet, uh, who's not yet ready to talk we are prepared to have that conversation, but we know it's, it needs to happen. Can you give us some tips on how to open that dialogue with our loved ones if we're worried about their mental health, or even if we live in a household where it's been stigmatized and we haven't yet ever had a conversation around mental health with our kids or parents? 
Mm -hmm. So um, thank you for talking about that because, I mean, both personally and professionally, you know, um, dealing with that uh, as we're raising children. And um, one of the things that I think I see with uh, parents or caregivers, adults and young people and trying to have this conversation um, is that they're worried that they're going to be bugging the youth. Um, and, um, you know, teenagers and young people are often stigmatized for being overly emotionally reactive and dysregulated. Well, that's a teenage young person brain. <laughs> the brain science suggests, right, that emotions take over in this time. It's the brain that's happening. It takes over that rational decision-making, frontal lobe executive decision-making component, and they're emotional beings. And so to then understand that as an adult, when you're going into the conversation, understanding that if that's the reaction of the teen, that a lot of that is biologically driven and that you're not actually bugging them. It's actually how it sits inside a teenage, a young person's body. If you think back to it, somebody cares about me. And actually the research shows that having a trusted, caring adult in your life or adults and having those people um, are very protective against mental health, poor mental health outcomes in the future. So one thing I would say is that for the adults, don't give up. Don't feel like you you need to check in, just even checking in. So you don't have to have conversations to say, hi, I'm checking in because I'm worried you're depressed. Hi, I'm, you know, that, that's not what I'm saying. Just checking in. Um, even like what did aligning with the youth? What did you watch on social media today? Ooh, tell me about that TikTok video big in our household right now. I'm, I'm scheduled to do a TikTok dance after this, by the way, with a 12 year old. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but these are the ways to connect that then open up the conversation. Um, yeah. It sounds cliche, but meeting youth and young people where they're at, we have to get out of our own way as adults and, and have that conversation that we know matters to that young person. And then that's the entry. That's the entry to then say, you know, I've noticed even using the language of I've noticed you've, you've just been kind of more tired lately, it seems like. Even focusing on the physical aspects can open up the conversation again, um, just leading it down that path. So those are some of the things I know we need to move to question and answers because I could also talk about this forever. But those are some kind of the more immediate suggestions, I would say. Thank you. That's super helpful. Um, so I'm going to use one of these questions to close it out so everyone will get final words, but let's, let's try and get through some of these incredible questions. So Taylor, I don't remember how old 12th grade is, but I feel like maybe around fifth grade. Um, so I'm going to direct this question to you. So Michael asks, he says, as a fifth grade teacher, how can I help my students with their mental health remotely? Would love some suggestions, um, from the Parker household. Yeah, so um, this is great because I spent the entire morning um, trying to do sixth grade math and I realized I don't understand fractions. Um, I think a big part of being able to help your elementary and junior high students that have to finish the school year virtually is going to come through how you can help um, their parents and those that might be helping them at home. Um, I know personally really, really hard to keep my cool when I felt so incapable of doing sixth grade math. Um, and I could tell that the frustration was um, making my little sister a little bit uncomfortable. And so I had to take a step back and I had to breathe. Um, I think being able to provide the resources to parents on, you know, we are not expecting you to be able to be a teacher in this subject. We are not asking that. They're just asking you um, to to try and to help your your students try to help your young ones try, and with that um, maybe reminding them that you know these conversations about mental health, like Dr. Marina, like Cynthia spoke about, um, these conversations with them need to be happening, even if it's not you know deep diving. Just how are you feeling today? Do you feel like you can focus on this right now, or where is your focus? That's so important. I think. Holding that, we need to talk to the students and the parents, right? I, I get the daily digest of all the seesaw activities that they need to do. And it's just, 
it's overwhelming. So making sure that you're talking to the parents and the students, that's so important. Juan, I'd love your thoughts on this um, because I know that this is something you've dealt with personally as well. So Jacqueline Powell, hi, Jacqueline, um, asks, what do young people do when their families are stressing or suffering um, and worried about COVID-19? How can we help um, if we as young people see our parents stressed out? Definitely. Thank you. Um, I feel like just really sitting down with them and acknowledging that they also struggle and that we all are in a collective struggle right now. A pandemic is not normal and it's definitely changed our lives tremendously. So uh, if some of our parents aren't as tech savvy, they don't know a lot of the resources that are available. So maybe you as a youth, even though it might be hard to support others, especially your parents, Maybe if you have the knowledge and the opportunity to provide them with resources that you might find online, that might be really helpful. Thank you, Juan. That's great. Um, I, um, Dr. Marina, I'll go to you. Colleen Sanford asks, thanks for, she says, thanks for this program. Um, and then she says she's looking for tips for supporting youth in telehealth. How can I foster more kindness and gratitude to support their mental health? So um, using telehealth as a, um, as a therapist, I'm, I'm wondering. I, I imagine it's also the, similar to the question of remotely, right? So if, okay. if I'm right. some tips virtually. Yes. Okay, great. Yeah, so um, one thing, um, and I've also experienced this personally, but this goes into these small bursts, these small moments that really go a long way. Something as simple as sending a text that says, sharing, sharing a struggle you've encountered that day and really acknowledging just through a text, if you can't reach the person on the phone, that you're here for them. Like we're in this together. Just, it sounds very simple, but it really goes a long way. Um, another one may be, you might not be able to reach someone over FaceTime, but keep trying over and over, reach them because sometimes just seeing someone's face, it can be a two-minute blip. That has the potential to impact your entire day in very positive ways. Um, and then engaging also um, using telehealth to engage in doing things like Instagram classes, exercises together, or a yoga class. Or there are various different ways um, that you can do that to check in with them and engage with them. And, and not virtual, but I'm a huge fan of the good old fashioned snail mail. Uh, my walk to the mailbox is getting me through this. Great point. Really? Yeah. Um, so Cynthia, we have a question. Um, what are, what are ways we can help others, our friends and our communities right now that do not cost money? I think recognizing, um, the incredible burden that is facing so many families with loss of wages, with just uncertainty, um, reaffirming that kindness and community doesn't have to cost money. What are some ideas that you have? Yeah, absolutely. And some we have actually implemented through the foundation. Um, one, um, we were just talking about the classroom. Um, thank you, Taylor, for your comments there. But one is to write thank yous to uh, your teachers, some of your favorite teachers. That can come from parents. That can come from the students themselves. And that it doesn't cost anything. And it also, you find, you know, when you give kindness, it also makes you feel good and forget some of your own troubles. So, um, I mean, that is certainly one way. Um, I'm just in the process, and I know some of, of our team members at Born This Way Foundation, we have been sending uh, some foods, whether that's pizza, empanadas, desserts, to local hospitals that are in need. Uh, they barely have time to even eat. So it's really like a great break for them So sending food if possible, you know, to your local hospitals is, is another way to do it. Um, a buddy system, maybe finding a pen pal and uh, writing notes back and forth, keeping in touch, connecting, reaching out to somebody you may have lost touch with and reestablishing uh, some touch there. Uh, that's, that's just a couple of ways to, to get engaged. And then I'm also a, a fan of journaling. It's just 
writing about this experience that we're all collectively sharing together. Yeah. Um, great. Well, I'm going to ask myself a question. Um, so someone asked, Maya, is there a difference between kindness angels and kindness punks? And I just want to take a second to reaffirm Dr. Marina's statement. There's absolutely not. I use both interchangeably on social media. Putting positive content, just using positive words with yourself, with others, writing them down, coloring them in. It is so, so important. So I use very flowery language and there is, in my mind, no difference. Um, but I just want to, to reaffirm the importance of the language that we use in our heads, out of our mouths, on our social media right now. Um, so I'm going to ask in closing, one of our friends, um, Ali Borowski, the founder of Find Your Anchor Box, an incredible resource, tangible resource on suicide prevention. She asks, what are your favorite anchors right now? Something that's bringing you extra joy in these moments. So um, we'll start with you, Taylor. We'll go Taylor, Juan, Cynthia, and end with you, Dr. Marina. would love for you to share what's bringing you joy in these moments and any closing words you have in these last couple minutes. Taylor. Absolutely. Um, so I have two podcasts that I listen to when I can. Um, they're called uh, Meditative Story and The Anthropocene Reviewed. Um, and both just give me some time to sit and reflect and they leave me feeling more human and more connected. And that's really the most I can ask for right now. Um, the second, and I've talked about this in our team meeting before is, is just skincare. And I don't mean anything luxurious by that, but just taking care of my skin. Um, when I was in high school, I was in uh, rehab for an eating disorder. That skincare is one of the best coping mechanisms you can have because it's a time when you're forced to be gentle with yourself. And so as you are, you know, washing your face or moisturizing your, your arms or your legs, be thinking about, you know, how can I be gentle with myself outside of these moments as well? Thanks, Taylor. Juan. For me, it's really listening to music and dancing. I did it when I was growing up as a method to cope with my anxiety. So just doing that really helps me uh, stay connected with my loved ones is so important to me as well. And I just want to shout out, and I'm really grateful to be a part of the Born This Way Foundation team as an intern. And seeing all your faces all mornings is incredible. Likewise, Vaughn, likewise. Cynthia. Yeah, uh, connection to friends, family, colleagues, is it gives me comfort and it also makes me smile and laugh. And I think that's really important right now. Um, what brings me joy is my ballet. I've been taking online ballet classes. I've danced for many years. And to be able to continue that is real joy to me. And the last, I will bring it down to kindness and quote my daughter, um, who said that, you know, everybody's talking about financial and economic currency these days, um, but she's talking about kindness currency. Um, we all have it. It's free and we give it and that's a great source of joy and it's a great source of connectedness and uplifting everyone's spirits thank you and dr marina so um it's connection and it's become uh it's come apparent to me in two different ways um one is actually similar to what Juan and Cynthia, well, actually everyone has said, but is actually seeing uh, my colleagues' faces, those who are on the front lines um, delivering care remotely to youth throughout the San Francisco County and just being so inspired um, and finding inspiration wherever that is for you. We can all find that somewhere. And the second piece is the ability to go between my meetings to go upstairs and kiss my daughters and hug them like I never get to do that that's like one of the things you know and so that connection that physical connection is just um, such a silver lining to me right now um, in the midst and so whatever that physical and connection and inspiration is for everyone um, I encourage you to find those and deliver those to your, those to yourself in short bursts throughout the week to keep you going thank you thank you that's so incredible and and 
Thank you so much to, to all of you, all of the incredible panelists for having this conversation on mental health and community during these uncertain times. Kindness and mental wellness were important um, before and they'll be important after, but focusing now is particularly urgent. So thank you for the uh, amazing work that each of you do for convening this conversation. Thank you to Commonwealth Club. We hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation. We want to continue it online. You can visit commonwealthclub.org slash online. And we encourage you to continue the conversation on Going to Play Black Foundation on our social media handles, on Instagram and Twitter and the foundation groups. And you can follow Dr. Marina and get more of her incredible advice at at Marina Psych. Um, thank you again for this incredible conversation. Uh, and I'll let the Commonwealth team take it away. Thank you.